Well, welcome. Good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. We're glad that you're here. If you're new, we do teachings through series, and we're in a series called Five Things God Uses to Grow Your Faith. Uh, it's actually a six-part series. We're on part five, and um, we're talking about how you and I, our faith would grow, um, how we get more connected with God or connected more deeply with God, have more trust in God, more confidence in God. And if you're a Jesus follower, that should be a desire of your heart. Um, we also believe, if you're not a Jesus follower, that the principles in the Bible are, are helpful to all, all folks and make your life better. And so, especially the one today, I think you'll find that it'll be uh, applicable to your life. So, these are five things that we especially note in people's lives when we talk about their faith growing. If you listen to somebody's story, faith story, they'll talk about these five things almost all the time. And some will affect more people or help more people than, than others. And um, so we've been talking about those. And first week, or first, time, first uh, uh, thing that God uses was practical teaching. So when talk, somebody talks about their Jesus journey, they'll say, uh, well, I was invited to this Bible study or I was invited to this church or I watched somebody online. And, and, when, they, and, and when they talked about the Bible, it, it was more than just something to, to learn. It was something to do. It was something that impacted your life. And, and uh, it, was, it was different. So it was practical. And then people talk about providential relationships. You know, somewhere along the line, I met this person, I met this couple, had this conversation with this person, with that person. I just watched this person and noticed their life was different uh, because they were Jesus followers. So those relationships changed, uh, grow, grew my faith. Then last week we talked about private disciplines. Jesus said there's some things we should, we should just do in private. We should pray and, and read the Bible and, and give, give in private. You could probably do that online uh, um, in secret. Uh, we talked about fasting. Some of you are a little interested in that. These are things we do in private to help us connect with God in a deeper way. <clears throat> And today's topic is personal ministry, and then next week we'll finish up with pivotal circumstances. These are things that that happen in our lives, these dramatic things that happen. Some of them are really good, like having children. Some are really bad, like a death of of a family member or something like that. So these are five of the biggies. There's there's probably more things God uses, but these are five big things God uses to draw us closer to Him, connect with Him in a deeper way. So today we're going to talk about Personal ministry. Now, if you look at the Old Testament, I mean the New Testament, the theme of the New Testament is how to connect with God or reconnect with God. And you find it's by faith through Jesus Christ. It's not through going to church, even though that's good. It's not by praying, even though that's good. It's not by studying your Bible. It's not by doing good deeds and all that's good stuff. But the way you connect or reconnect with God is through faith or trust confidence in God through Jesus Christ. Now, if you look back to the Old Testament, we learn how the, tr- the relationship or connection with God was broken, and it was broken by a lack of trust. Go all the way back to the Adam and Eve story, and God told them they could do all this stuff except for not eat of this one tree, and what did they do? Well, they, they ate of the tree, they disobeyed, but the root of the problem was not that they disobeyed, but because they didn't trust God. Saying this is not good for you, this is not helpful. They thought, ah, God's not really got our best interests at heart. He's trying to keep something from us. Um, he's trying to keep us from having some fun or knowing something that He knows or, or so forth. So, it, 
the connection with God, the relationship with God was broken by lack of trust. And so it makes sense that God would reconnect with us through the same process by building trust. Now, there's 400 years between the Old Testament and New Testament. We call it the 400 silent years. We don't have any revelations from God or whatever. So we have this old system where the relationship is broken, and Jesus shows up on the scene and says, hey, this is the way you can connect or reconnect with God is by faith or trust in me. So, it was broken by a trust issue. It's reestablished by a trust issue. And when we say it's growing or you're becoming more uh, closer to God, what is actually growing? <clears throat> well, it is your faith level, your trust level, or your confidence level. You know, I, I don't know if I can believe. Oh, yeah, I, I can believe. I can believe most of the time. Yes, I believe completely. So our trust level grows. Now, we've all met people that have had this high trust or faith level. And on one hand, we admire them. Wow, they just, no matter what happens, they, they just said, they have this complete faith in God. On the other hand, it's a little irritating, isn't it? Uh, you know, it's kind of like they're a little dumb. They don't get it. Aren't they paying attention? But everybody's story, our faith story, involves personal ministry. So I'm going to give you a definition of personal ministry. It's this. It's an internal nudge. That's the best way I could describe it. To get involved with something that serves or benefits others. Now, you don't even have to be a Jesus follower to have this internal nudge. It's part of the, the human psyche, if you will. It's our conscience, whatever. <clears throat> you, uh, you ever see somebody broken down alongside the road, and you're driving by, and you get this, oh, I should have stopped. And maybe you did, maybe you didn't. All right, that's an internal nudge to help. <clears throat> well, if you're Jesus following, we have the Spirit of God in us, and we truly believe that the Spirit of God nudges us to do those kinds of things. And it's not a guilt thing. Sometimes I'll pass somebody who needs help and not help and I feel guilty. It's not a guilty thing. It's not a negative thing. It's a positive thing. God's saying, hey, I want you to be involved. We say it some, around here sometimes, be my Jesus's or God's uh, hands and feet here on earth. And so there's this internal struggle, this internal tension, this tug of war, if you will. This nudge to do something and sometimes we, ah, ah, I want to do that. And other times we, we surrender to it. We give in to that and, and, and we do that. So the issue, though, is bottom line issue is a trust issue. Is it what's best for me <laughs> to follow this nudge, to obey, we sometimes say, or do what God wants me to do, or not? And we all have examples of where we did and where we didn't, and sometimes it turned out well and sometimes it didn't. So I put on your outline this. God wants to use something or someone outside of your comfort zone to stretch your faith, to grow your faith, your confidence, your trust. So God's using some external circumstance or external person to try and get you out of your comfort zone. Now, the problem is we like being comfortable, don't we? Anybody not want to be comfortable? Does anybody want to be uncomfortable? I might be making you uncomfortable. Just talking about it, right? <laughs> now, we all like to be comfortable. So there's, there's this wrestling match that goes on. Uh, I'd just rather just, you know, sit down, sit in front, watch TV. But, you know, uh, back in my I can't get this out of my mind. This person, I need to call. I need to go help. I need to do this. I need to do that. And so sometimes we just push it away. Uh, 
turn the music up so we don't think about the nudge. And of course, other times, uh, we pursue it. So I also want to say it this way. God exhausts your faith muscle to strengthen it. When you're in your comfort zone, there's not much faith required, is it? You know, I'm not in my comfort zone when I'm up here. <laughs> I'm not. I'd rather just be by myself. So when I'm up in front of people and I have to talk, I enjoy it. On one hand, I enjoy it, but it's not in my comfort zone. So during the week when I'm sitting home studying, to have something to share, I'm comfortable then. That's fun for me. I could do that all day long. But this is out of my comfort zone. And we all have those areas. And it doesn't take any faith to get out of your comfort zone. So God brings these circumstances, God brings these peoples, God brings this nudge inside of you, and there's a struggle. There's this tension. Uh, I'd rather not do that. That's going to be hard. I don't know how to do that, etc. So we're going to look at two stories, back-to-back stories from uh, incidents between Jesus and his disciples where he tried to teach them about personal ministry. And they're familiar stories, and you're going to know, you've heard them before, most of you, and you know it's going to happen. But try and focus on the, the, what Jesus was trying to teach these guys about personal ministry and trust. And this is in Matthew. So Matthew was there. He wrote this down for us. Um, this is a first-hand account. <clears throat> as soon as Jesus heard the news, what news? Well, if you read, read for, uh, back, he had just found out that John the Baptist, his cousin, the guy, probably a, a friend, the guy that baptized him, initiated his ministry, had just had his head cut off and just been executed. And so uh, he had been preaching against the king, King Herod, saying his marriage was illegal and, and the king didn't like it, so he had him arrested. And long story short, eventually he wound up, uh, the king got tricked into it, but he, he, he cut his head off. He, he killed him. So Jesus is sad at this point. Uh, he's upset. He, he's mourning for the loss of, loss of his cousin, John. So he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone, to grieve alone. Uh, that was his desire. But it didn't work out too well for him. He had been ministering to this crowd. He got in the boat and uh, started to go out on the Sea of Galilee. And the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot. All right, so the sea's not very big, so... You could take a boat across, or you could walk around it. And so they didn't have a boat, so they walked around. So his desire was to be alone. He goes partway across the Sea of Galilee. He gets out of the boat, and what happens? Well, <laughs> there was a huge crowd there. Ah, I, want to, I just want to be alone. I want to grieve. And so he steps out of the boat, and he had compassion. Now, what we're really talking about is your compassion level. My wife has a high compassion level. Me, not so much, but she does. All right? So when she sees a need, she just wants to help. And, of course, Jesus saw all kinds of needs. And so even though he wanted to be alone, he wanted to grieve, his compassion took over, and he spent time with the crowd, and he healed their sick. So this went on to the end of the day. And at the end of the day, disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place because we were trying to be, get alone and it didn't happen. And it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the village and buy food for themselves. Kind of a logical thing, right? Got all these people. Uh, it's, it's evening time. Everybody's hungry, tired, they need to eat. So why don't we just dismiss the crowd and we're hungry and tired too. Logical suggestion question, right? 
And so Jesus is going to say, sure, go ahead. Guys, tell them to go home. No, because there wouldn't be any trust involved in that, would there? There wouldn't be any faith involved. Uh, you wouldn't be out of your comfort zone. This would be the normal thing to do. So Jesus is trying to teach them something. So he says to them, that's not necessary. You don't have to send them away. You're going to feed them. And if you're a disciple, you're saying, what? Right, we're going to feed them. There's this huge crowd. <laughs> now, we're going to find out it's over 5,000 people. And if God told us to feed 5,000 people, you know, we're going to feed a couple hundred next week, and that's probably a challenge, right? How would we feed 5,000 people, much less the disciples? So there's this tension, obviously. What in the world are you expecting us to do? But if hindsight or if we're wise, there's this sense of excitement because when God asks you to do something you can't do and you do it or you participate, as we're going to see, God shows up. And when God shows up, that's exciting. So we've all seen needs. There's needs all around us. They may be local needs. They might be neighbors you have, friends you have, relatives you have, people at work, people at school. There might be needs, uh, you know, somewhere else in the state, other parts of the country, other parts of the world. And there's just certain things that you can't get off your mind, right? You try and it just comes back again. It comes back again. It comes back again. Other things, yeah, doesn't bother you at all. You don't think about it again. So what do you do? Well, what did the disciples do? Well, anytime you're in this, this situation, there's two common reactions, and that's what the disciples had. The first one was fear. What if it doesn't work? Say, okay, Jesus, we're going to feed them, but I don't know how we're going to do it, and then we're going to look like idiots if we don't actually do it. Um, so there's this fear, and along with it is a sense of inadequacy. I, I don't know how to do it. Did they know how to feed the 5,000 people? They didn't know how to do it. Jesus is telling us, but I don't know how to do it. And same thing might be true in your life. There's this, this, this internal nudge to do something, and you just, you've never done it. You don't know how to do it. You don't even know where to begin. So those are kind of the reactions we have to this nudge. And I would encourage you to <clears throat> uh, go to this place. Uh, God, I want to be, in, speaking to us, I want you to be involved to meet that need. Now, sometimes there's needs that, you can or cannot, it's up to you, but there are certain times, there's nudge where God says, I want you personally to be involved in this situation. Now, if you're like me, often reaction is this, well, I, I'll pray that you send somebody to do it. Right? We all do that, right? Oh, I see this need. God, please send somebody to do that. Now, personal story back in the how old I am, early, late 70s, early 80s when I was pastoring. I took serious in, in December. We had this mission offering for, for world missions, international missions. And I would take that really seriously as I would teach that to our church, and I'd pray about that. Well, I prayed about that for a few years, and guess what happened? God said, well, why don't you go? Well, no, I'm just praying to you. <laughs> You'll send other people over there. I'm not going to go over there. And our natural reaction is also to have excuses, Right? So my big excuse was this. <clears throat> I'd taken German for three years in high school. Couldn't speak a word of German. Well, I couldn't say speak a word. Couldn't probably say a sentence. I took Greek in college. I took Greek in seminary. And I still couldn't translate the New Testament from Greek, uh, Greek to English. And so, God, you want me to go to another country and learn another language and actually do ministry? 
not going to happen. I can't do that. I'm not skilled at language acquisition or whatever that term is. Uh, does God accept excuses? No. <laughs> and so the nudge got bigger and stronger and harder and, and eventually I just said, okay, I'm going, just don't send me to a hot climate. <laughs> that was my, my caveat. Don't like hot weather. Uh, you know, you always think about Africa, right? <clears throat> so we went to Portugal, as most of you know. Took me about two years. But after two years, I became fluent in Portuguese. Everything I do in English, I did in Portuguese. I, I taught, I preached, I counseled, I did weddings and funerals. Did it all. And it's amazing. The other thing is, when that happens... You can't take credit for it, can you? Yeah, if I was great at languages, I would say, yeah, hey, I'll just learn Portuguese, no big deal. Not the case. My wife learned a lot faster than me, by the way. <laughs> she says because she's musical, I don't know. But you know my wife, she has to talk, so she, <laughs> she had to learn the language, right? <laughs> so she'd go to the market and she'd figure it out. <clears throat> so in about four months, she was speaking Portuguese. But anyway, uh, we have our excuses. And... Uh, I think the disciples had a pretty good excuse, don't you? Because what did they have to feed these guys? Well, feed this whole crowd. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish. 5,000 plus people, five loaves of bread and two fish. This isn't going to happen, right? Can't happen. So what's Jesus say? He says, bring them here. What, five loaves and two fish? Just bring them to you? Yeah. Now, here's a big important, important principle or lesson you and I need to learn. Just, Jesus says to us, just bring me what you have. Just bring me what you have. So we go back to excuses. All right, I'm an intelligent person. I've been to college. I've been to seminary. I'm not very good at languages, God, so I'm going to bring you my brain, and you're going to have to teach it a lesson uh, to, uh, to be able to speak another language. So just bring what you have. Well, I don't have much time. Well, bring whatever time you have. I don't have much money. Bring whatever money you have. Don't have much experience. Bring whatever experience you have. I uh, don't have any skills. Well, bring whatever skills you have. Just bring what you have. Besides, you can't bring what you don't have, can you? The quest problem is we don't even bring what we do have. So, disciples said, sure, here. That's what we have. Take it. So, told the people, Jesus, told the people to sit down. He took the five loaves, two fish, looked up to heaven, blessed them, and breaking the bread, loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed to the people. They gave what he had, and they did what they could. Right? God multiplied it. We can distribute it. Just, you know. And that's what they did. So, Here's another principle that's really big that we're going to talk about today. Do what you can and trust God to do what only He can. So they can offer the loaves and fish, they can distribute the food, but they certainly couldn't multiply it, right? And again, God's not going to ask you or me to do what we can't do. I mean, He will, but I mean, he, He's going to do the part we can't do. So that's all our responsibility all of our responsibility, any situation we're in, whenever we get this nudge, is to give him what we have, do what we can, and let God do the rest. So what's at stake if 
I decide, nah, I'm not going to do that. What's at stake? The size and capacity of your faith is at stake. It's like, no big deal. I don't do this. I'm not going to lose anything. Yeah, you're going to lose something. You're going to lose growth. You're going to lose connection. You're going to lose intimacy with God as that faith muscle gets stretched. Now, all through history, if you look at her God, had done, God, God has done something, this principle is true. People gave whatever they had, time, talents, finances, whatever, and trusted God to do the rest. All through history. One way to say it's this way. God, I can't, but you can. I'm get, and then I'm giving you all the credit. So when I learned Portuguese and when I was preaching in Portuguese, to this day, I still don't know how I did it. It's just one of those things. God gets all the credit because I'm not good at language acquisition. And that's just a simple thing, but it could be something much, much bigger. On the other hand, if we ignore the nudge, if we don't offer what we have, if we don't do what we can, we miss out. And I can't imagine, my wife and I can't imagine our lives if we had never gone to Portugal as missionaries. Our lives would be completely, completely different. We would have missed out on so much. So what happens in the story? They all ate as much as they wanted, got full. Now, you have to realize in that culture in that day, they didn't, they, they didn't stuff themselves like we did. They just ate normally enough to get by with. That's all they could afford. That's all they had. But they ate as much as they could. That would have been amazing for them. And afterwards, the disciples picked up the 12 baskets of leftovers. So there's even leftovers. I, I'm a leftover person. I love leftovers. Anyway, they had some leftovers. I don't know what they did with them. But afterwards, about 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. So it was a huge crowd. Now, could the disciples say, look what we did. We fed 5,000 people. Well, in a way they did. But God did, right? Jesus did. So what was Jesus' agenda in all this? He's trying to teach the disciples in particular to trust him. If you give me what you have and do what you can, I'll take care of the rest, right? If been to college, we can call this a class 101 of trusting Jesus. So then we get to the next story, and it's in, in Matthew's account, it's right after it, but it also happens right after that. So this is right after this happens. All these people were fed, okay? So immediately after this, Jesus <clears throat> insisted the disciples get back into the boat and cross the other side of the lake. So you guys, okay, lesson one learned, get in the boat, and get out on the Sea of Galilee. And he sent the people home. He said, okay, I've healed you. I've fed you. It's, it's, it's getting dark. Go home. And evidently they did this time. So after that, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. So he finally got his alone time. And he's practiced some of those uh, private disciplines we talked about last week, right? Spending time praying to God. <clears throat> and night fell while he was there. Meanwhile, out on the boat, what's happening? Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from the land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting the heavy waves. So now they're, getting, they're, they're enrolled in, in class 201 about learning to trust God. 
Now, this is pretty interesting because a couple of these guys were fishermen. They'd been in boats on the Sea of Galilee all their lives. They were skilled at this. They were good at this. They had lots of experience at this. Yet they were still in trouble. <laughs> you ever been doing something you were good at and still get in trouble? Or have issues? Well, probably all been there too. So that's their situation. So about 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. The disciples saw him. They were what? They were what? Say it like you, it, you mean it. Terrified. Terrified, right. Now, they thought they saw a ghost. I guess I'd be terrified if I saw, saw a ghost too. Um, now, little caveat here. <clears throat> Some people don't believe the Bible's true or most of it's not true, or some of it's not true. Uh, they don't believe it's credible. One of the reasons I believe it's credible is because it shows everybody warts and all, right? Now, just think about this. If you're Matthew and you're writing this, he was on the boat, would you write that you all were a bunch of cowards? I don't think so. The fact that the, the Bible tells you about all the, even, even the great, you know, Moses, he had his failings, and Abraham, all these guys, they wouldn't put that part in if it was just somebody writing a story. So that is just one of the reasons I believe what's written there is actually true. Because nobody is going to want to write, <laughs> write this, this stuff down about themselves. Anyway, so Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. What you got to be afraid of? I'm here. I can handle it. I can take care of it. Relax. And I think Jesus tells us all that, right? When we get all, the Portuguese word is aflita. <laughs> so remember a little bit of it. When we get all anxious and ex- nervous and worry, uh, relax. I got it. I can handle it. So then Peter seems to have this insight. And maybe it came from the previous day's experience. And he appears to want to test out his theory. And so what, what does he say? Most of you know the story. Peter called out to him, Lord, if it really is you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. And that's really important. He didn't jump out of the boat and just try and start, start walking on the water. And maybe you've done this. You've seen people do this, just kind of run ahead of God or run ahead of someplace where God isn't going. That's stupidity. You can get in big trouble really quick that way. Uh, one, one teacher teaches this way. Find out what God is doing and join him. Sometimes we just try and do something, say, God, bless what I'm doing. Instead, let me do what you're blessing. So he, he, he knew it was important that this was something sanctioned by God or given permission by God. So he said, if you invite me, if you tell me, I'm a, I can walk on water like you. So what's Jesus do? He said, this is his theory he has. Jesus says, sure. Yeah, 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 come. Yeah, come. So Peter <laughs> went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Now, we all have our limitations. We all have what we can offer to God, what we can bring. Now, what did Peter have? He knew how to get out of a boat. He'd been in and out of a boat all his lives. He knew how to walk. He's been walking most of his life, right? He just didn't know how to walk on water. So he did what he knew to do. And he trusted God to do what only he could do, which is walk on water. So I'm going to give you a dare this morning. 
I want to dare you to pray a prayer. And here's the prayer. Lord, please invite me out of my comfort zone. Walking on water, that's a big time comfort zone, right? <laughs> Lord, please invite me out of my comfort zone. Now, you're not going to pray that prayer unless you want your faith to grow, right? And the older we get, the kind of, I don't know if it's lazy. You know, I've you know, I got a pretty good connection with God. I've been doing this for 50 years. Yeah, we sometimes get lazy. Yeah, yeah, that's for young people. No, 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 no. I always tell people, if you're still breathing, God's got something for you to do. I think everybody's still breathing here, right? Yeah, okay. So you're still breathing. So what's going to be involved? I don't know. It might, you might have to leave this church. You might have to leave this community. You might have to leave your, your profession or leave your job. You may have to volunteer uh, for something inside the church, volunteer for something outside the church. You may have to change something. The question is, what if? What if you pray that prayer? What if you step out of the boat? What if you get out of your comfort zone? What's at stake? Capacity of your faith, your connection, your intimacy with God. So, again, this is kind of short-lived, but uh, when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord. Now, that's how we initially enter into a relationship with God, as we ask God to to save us, and we're trusting him to do that. <clears throat> but we've all prayed that prayer many times, probably, as we've gotten ourselves into, into trouble. And that's what he prayed and prayed, and that's a prayer that I believe God always answers. So Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. And then he said, you, you have so little faith, why did you doubt me? Again, what is Jesus' agenda? I'll re- restate it this way. I'm trying to teach you to trust me for what you can't do. Now, I don't think Peter's, Jesus is, is, is chastising Peter at this point because 11 other guys didn't even think of this. 11 other guys didn't even try and get out of the boat, right? If he wanted to chastise somebody, it would be them. And maybe it's a preacher in me, the teacher in me, the parent, grandparent in me. I think it was more like this. Peter. Good try, you almost did it. Maybe next time you'll be able to take more steps. Why did you not continue to trust me? And then the end of the story is this. When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. And the disciples worshipped him. All right, we thought we got the lesson yesterday. We got the lesson now. (laughs) You are God. You can handle it all. You're really a son of God. Now, this is big. Everybody here has benefited from a group of people that did this. And two of the couples are still here. 27 years ago, a group of people got together and said, we want to start a church in Smithsburg. And I don't know the whole story, but I would think that there was a little fear and trepidation. They didn't know how or what. They were going to leave a church that had a pastor in a nice building and go without a pastor, without a building. Joneses and Hoovers, is that right? <laughs> All right. You can talk to them. But 27 years ago, they did that in August. And they didn't know where it was going to go, but this is where it's gone so far, Right? And all of us have been impacted and benefited from their decision to get out of that boat and do what they could do and let God do the rest. Uh, Our management team, we have 12 people that kind of 
make decisions for the church. And it's a really good group. And today's our monthly meeting. And basically, our job is to figure out where, God, where God's going, going and join him, where we need to step out of the boat. Some of you have children, grandchildren in our children's ministry. And we don't have super Christians back there. We just have people that have what? Volunteered. They've said, well, and even me, I think I, I face Bible school with fear and trepidation as I have to teach those little kids. But you give God what you have and let God do the rest. And again, you can't take the credit for it when it happens. Jones is in here. We, we can't take credit for this, right? We just, you know, I've been here 25 of the 27 years. Um, we just do what we could, and God did the rest. And aren't you, those of you with kids and grandkids, aren't you glad those people volunteer? For one, they're not sitting in here bugging you <laughs> for the last hour. But no, they're being teach, taught God's word in a way they can understand it. So let me end with this question this morning. Would you be willing to do what you know how to do and trust God to do what only God can do? Another way his question is this. What's God nudging you to do that you don't want to do because it's out of your comfort zone? And the only issue is a trust issue. And we all wrestle with it. But if you say yes, then your trust grows. Your relationship grows. Your connection with God grows. So what's God nudging you to do? Maybe a simple thing like volunteering next Sunday afternoon to help a dad fest. Or go on a mission trip the following weekend. In fact, if you haven't been on a mission trip, I would say God's telling you to go. Everybody needs to go on one mission trip. This is a short one, cheap one, close one, easy one. As mission trips go. I don't know for sure, but I would almost say for sure. I've never been anybody been on a mission trip that regretted it. You certainly don't regret the fact that you, your trust or confidence or faith in God grows. So that's <clears throat> personal ministry. We all need to be or should be involved in it. And we have one more week in this series, and then we're going to start a two-week series called God and country after that, leading up the 4th of July. So let's pray. Ah, thank you, God. We thank you for personal ministry. We thank you for that, that your spirit nudges us. It's kind of like we, we don't have to go looking for things. Uh, you bring them to us. The question is, will we trust you, our trust level? And God, I, the Jesus followers here, God, I don't know where they are. I just know that you're, you, you want our faith to grow. You want our trust to grow. So you're nudging us. And different things. And I would pr pray that we'd have the wisdom to know what that is and the courage to do it. To trust you. That, yeah, this is uncomfortable, but this is going to not only benefit me, benefit other people. And if you're not a Jesus follower, we would just encourage you to pray that prayer. Lord, save me. Reconnect with me. He desires to do that. It's left up to you to desire to, to invite him. God, uh, just continue to direct us as individuals and as a church to figure out what you're doing and to join you, to trust you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.